0: That's Stamps.com. Code program. Stars in full cry here.
1: Welcome listeners to the Extra Inch. My name is Wendy and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy. And a man that has the sleep pattern of a Panamanian night monkey, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Ah,
2: ah, ah. I don't know what they sound like, is that
1: Well, I'm I really. Oh, I was going to say, you've done your research, you've worked out what <laughs> Panamanian night monkey sounds okay. like. So I looked up a um, list of nocturnal animals and just picked out the one that I thought sounded nice. the funniest. I nearly went for a western woolly lemur, but um, Panamanian night monkey has a nice ring to it, I think. And we're also joined by the members of the internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast, Wheeler Dealer Radio. Hello, Greg.
3: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having us again.
1: Nice to Nice to speak to you again. Welcome back, Brian. Thank you. Glad to be here. And a hello to, you, to Ben. Hello. I have not re- researched any nocturnal primate noises, so <laughs> please don't book me. Up. <laughs> I kind of want to hear what you can do now I might throw one at you later Alright,
4: I'll be off the Wikipedia during the call
1: <laughs> So obviously there are, there, are, there are six of us here I'm going to try and control this chaos um, yes. And we're going to start off where we, where we always start off Which is our last match So we might touch on a Liverpool game But uh, we'll focus on Leicester And in true extra-inch style We'll start off with thinking about the team selection Which saw Lacelso Celso and Ndombele start together for first time in a while definitely and uh the Celso was was on the right but you know they're in the same team together and the other talking point that that delhi now can't even make a nine man bench which was surprising to me um bardi any thoughts on on
5: that team selection i mean the Celso and dombele partnership is what we've all been waiting to see but every time we get a glimpse of it, it just doesn't look very good um i don't know whether that's because there's the Sissoko's, the meat in that sandwich. and yeah. No no sandwich tastes very nice when he's in the middle of two slices <laughs> of bread. But uh, yeah, this whole match didn't really fill me with joy. And I, I, I thought the kind of moving away from a Bergvine lucas kind of winger to playing Lo Celso was a strange move by Jose. And I, I'm a little bit concerned about my manager, a little bit concerned about him.
1: I'm also concerned about your manager, and I'm, I'm very <laughs> glad he's your manager, uh, Nathan. Any thoughts on on Delhi not making the bench? Uh,
2: not really. I mean, other than like, yeah, when it's a nine-man, it's like it's not it's not the failure to include. It's like an active exclusion, isn't it? Or mm. I mean, who? Okay, I don't. Who do you know off the top of your head who made who did make that nine-man bench? Who you <laughs> would you know? not well
1: I, I mean I would have Delhi on that bench ahead of Lucas or Bale <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough but but you know fine whatever De- Delhi's clearly not in Mourinho's plans at this point um Ben what did you think of the team we how how all sort of happy were you to see lacelso Celso and, and Blay in the team at the same time
4: well I think it's a bit misleading to say we finally got to see the mm. you know Loselso. Play partnership because Los Celso was stuck on the right and Dombele for whatever reason seems to want to be playing at the 10 and that's where he keeps being played and so I think you know we all had this vision of the two of them playing you know together in central midfield or at least together in Mm. front of a midfielder like Hojbjerg and we're still not getting that Uh, I'm glad to see both of them on the pitch at the same time, but as as Nathan glibly pointed out on Twitter, um, perhaps that was ill advised as things <laughs> ended up.
1: Yeah, yeah, fair point, fair point. Um, I mean, the first half was tight, I suppose is, is the best way to put it. There, there wasn't a lot between the teams, not a lot to really write home about until until Aurier's foul in stoppage time. Um, Brian, you are a, a big fan of Serge Aurier and what he's been well, doing this uh, season. But- Walk that back a little bit. <laughs> big, fan. I, I, I'm a Serge Aurier tolerator. If anything, okay. How, how? What did you um, think of uh, that arrow? Is I mean, th- the thing is, he has been doing well. Like he, I think he has objectively been playing pretty well in this system. But he's Serge Aurier, and so he will do Serge Aurier things. Yeah,
6: I, I mean, we talked about. When we did a show together last time, we talked about, you know, what was the benefits of the signing of Matt Daugherty and like, oh, we both we all basically landed on he's not going to do really dumb things that concede penalties and he'll be largely fine otherwise. Well, what it's turned out is he doesn't really do much in attack and he also concedes dumb (laughs) penalties. So, you know, we're in a position where we have two right backs that seem to do that. And and like you said, Ori has been playing well of late. But, yeah, I, I can't defend that decision, like, to, to shoulder barge the guy in the back like that. I mean, you know, if he had made some sort of attempt to get across him or to at least get shoulder to shoulder, maybe I could say, oh, that makes sense, you know. Da, da, da. But, no, he just rammed him in the back. There's absolutely no way. Like, what are you going to do? And, you know, that is – Mourinho has identified that in Aurier's game. He knows that that is a risk of playing him, and – it bit us in the ass today. It hadn't yet, but it did. You mm. know, against Leicester.
1: hmm And mm-hmm. um, Nathan, you recently did a uh, video on hmm. Serge Aurier, in which you basically showed how he is incredibly keen to win the ball at every possible opportunity. Uh, on this occasion, he couldn't win the ball. No. There's, there's no way he could. And, and certainly on the coverage in the UK, the, the analysis at halftime was that he forgot he was in the penalty area when he made that challenge. But even were he ten yards further out. That's still a stupid challenge to make, like on the stroke of half time, right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I did an hour-long video on like uh, how and why the stupid fouls have vanished <laughs> from his game, um, and I talked a lot about how like uh, it's not that he's like a inherently violent person. It's not like he's going in nastily. It's out of like. At least most of the time, it's out of like a, a supreme optimism about his abilities that he can slide in because he will win the ball. But as you rightly pointed out, there was literally nothing good that could possibly have come of that challenge. He, <laughs> I, I can't, I don't really know where to begin to sort of explore it. He literally just runs into the spine of a player who is leaving the penalty box. There's, there's nothing more to be said than, than that. Other than, mm-hmm. like, this is who he will always be. And, and he can be coached and coached and coached and protected and protected. And uh, you can mitigate a lot of him. But clearly, he's still just going to run into the back of a player who's leaving the penalty box sometimes. I don't know, man.
1: Yeah, it's indefensible. Um, Greg, what, before the match, how nervous were you about Leicester?
3: You know, I thought it might be a boring match. Frankly, I think, and this just might be hangover from, like, We've played a lot of loose matches against Leicester over the years, largely because we seem to end up playing Leicester at the end of the season a lot when it's kind of like, all right, everybody just go out and run around a little Mm -hmm. bit and we end up scoring six goals or whatever. I didn't think it was going to be an easy match, but I just thought in my head, even though I knew it probably wasn't right, I'm like, this is going to be kind of a loose match. I thought it might be a tight scoring match. I thought it might not go our way. I didn't think the entire house of cards was going to fall over like it did. And, you know, I think this is a match in a lot of ways that, you know, when you're playing the way Mourinho is playing, you sort of put yourself at risk of this. Like, I don't think we got our tactics right. I think we made a lot of mistakes in how we set up and how we approached it. And then when you combine that with Serge Aurier does something incredibly stupid and you get a massively untimely injury after a questionable substitution, you know, at the bottom can fall out very quickly. And this is, I think, also the kind of match that demonstrates, you know, a lot of us have been talking very theoretically about, oh well Tottenham need to find a different way to play and this is an example of that in practice where you know that counter-attacking game doesn't work well but I mean I don't think Lester I don't even know if they needed to if they mustered a shot after they went up 2-0 they didn't have to so if they're not going to come out our counter-attacking game is not going to work uh and if we only have two people on the team who can pass the ball and they're both off the pitch it's it's, a, it's probably a problem with them on the pitch. It's definitely a problem without them on the pitch. So, you know, I didn't expect it all to go this wrong, but... I don't know. I, I, it's uh, This team kind of confounds expectations at every turn for me this year. We play really well when I expect us to suck. We suck when I expect us to, when, when I expect us to play well. It's a very weird team, and I think it's because we're playing on such thin margins all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you raised a really important point, which was we had no Ndombele and no Celso on the pitch in the second half. One of those was through choice. Um, Bardi, what did you think of the decision to to substitute Ndombele at
5: halftime? Well, it it doesn't look good because you end up losing the game I I don't think what Greg said about uh, playing on fine margins is something that we've been doing a lot of Spurs these these last few weeks we've been we've been teaching on the edge of of brilliance and conceding goals and unfortunately we've now started to concede goals again and our attack isn't as isn't as as, um, efficient as it once was so we've kind of reverted back we said we can't keep scoring every chance that we have and that's kind of what's happening at the moment um I, was, I just want to defend Aurier a little bit. Yes, it was ridiculous. Yes, it was stupid. But those those mistakes happen. They don't happen that often to Aurier. You know, um, I thought up until that point he'd had a decent game. I thought Sun was awful. I don't know whether the Pushkas award went to his head, but I, he was terrible. Um, I thought Kane was incredible. I thought his his desire and his spirit to try and keep going at all all time was brilliant. And I want to give a little shout out to Winks as well because when I saw Winks come on, I thought I, th- I thought here we go. His Mourinho gonna the sacrificial lamb? Is gonna be Winks. Everybody's gonna be focused on how crap Winks is. But I thought he was actually pretty good. And I thought he knitted together the midfield. And with Le Celso going off, if I could rewind time, other than pushing Aurier off the pitch and getting or, or Alderweire not to boots it in I would have put Winks on instead of La because I thought, I thought he did a great job in keeping possession and moving the moving us forward I
1: think that's a, a very fair point um, but we, I mean there wasn't a lot else to get excited about right so we're, we're, we're trying to pluck some sort of feather of positivity from this from this goose which was an absolute mess um, Ben what did you think of the approach in the second half as we attempted or did we even attempt to get back into the game
4: yeah I You know, I I think, as Greg pointed out earlier, the five minutes around halftime where we went a goal down and lost our two best midfielders in, Mm -hmm. you know, seconds, it really throws out the window any possible game plan that Jose might have had. You know, we saw his response in the Palace game maybe be less than effective, and then his response at halftime in the Liverpool match, I thought, was really effective, if not very successful, uh, ultimately. And I feel like we really didn't get a chance to see what he was even going for. So I have a hard time judging it. Um, but just on that one substitution, taking out either of Ndombele or Losalso, Celso, whoever it had been, um, to bring on Gareth Bale seemed like a real misread of where our problems were. I didn't feel like we were lacking another guy on the front line to be able to create shots, to be able to get in behind. Um, I feel like we desperately needed to bring one of Los Celso or Ndombele deeper in the pitch to be able to work on the counterattack more effectively or, or work in possession, whatever way he wanted to go with it. Um, and, it and it wasn't until, you know, he brought on Winks in um, you know, the 65th minute when the game was kind of already beyond us um, that he kind of that that's what had been missing all along i oh, yeah i didn't love it and i'm kind of still confused by it maybe maybe nathan has more savvier tactical understanding than i do I, I was puzzled
1: well i was gonna say nathan did you see anything tactically in this that that made you <sighs> double take or was it just more of the same basically
2: i was honestly surprised about like i'm, I'm i i should not have been i don't think i should have been but like i didn't think that we would quite so willingly uh Give less to the ball um, right from the off, and, and maybe that's been being naive. It's just I, I kind of suspected that there might be a bit of a break from that, having done that for several weeks. Obviously, the Palace game is an exception. Europa League games were an exception, but um, I don't know. Like you set up that way, uh, and you get results. You know, in the North London derby, you get a, a, a draw away at Stamford Bridge, and you sort of have to say, okay, yeah, fair enough. But when you when you concede possession to to Leicester City and lose it just it just makes you feel like a small team you know and I hate that I really really hate that I don't um the thing with like scoring off our first shot is that we didn't have a shot for half an hour so like it's not like we we had some counterattacks or several counter-attacks and we were wasteful with them we just we didn't get anything going against again against Leicester and no disrespect to like the squad that Leicester have built over the last few years or the job that Brendan Rodgers is doing there but like They are literally Leicester City so uh, no I didn't see anything extremely interesting or uh, tactically about the way that we approached the game other than yeah our two best progressors of the ball playing further up the pitch than I would like them to be um, and then both off the pitch at the same time when we have no choice but to attack leaving us completely without any means to do anything really. Mm. It's really problematic.
1: Um, uh, Brian, it did feel towards the end that we just basically threw on a bunch of attacking options and hoped for the best. Did you, did you see any structure there? Did you, could you work out what the plan was?
6: No, pretty much just what you said. Just as many attacking bodies on the field and try to you know, get something on goal that maybe turns into a goal. Mm. Um, you know, And you're hampered by the fact that the attacking options that you're throwing on in terms of you know Lucas and Gareth Bale haven't been creating their own shots and their own opportunities really um you know Lucas is fast and like makes sense if you're trying to counter but at that point you know we needed to be on the ball and you know actively creating uh scoring opportunities through possession and we just weren't doing that and Gareth Bale I mean as excited as we all were I don't know what he does now other than he strikes a really good free kick and and that's great but like I, he's not creating chances he's not getting on the end of chances he's not dribbling he's not running I, I, I don't I don't know what added benefit he he provided in that game you know you would have liked like Nathan said earlier you would have liked to see Deli Alley, you would have liked to see even Vinicius um could have been a useful player in this game um I have no idea if he was actually even on the bench so <laughs> maybe we couldn't have used him. but like You know, like, those guys are people that could have been useful and that you could have created some coherent attacking plan out of. Um, But yeah, Jose just chucked guys on and hoped for the best, it seemed like.
1: Yeah. And what's so disappointing is... It came after the Liverpool game where there there were some positives. you know, not not the result, clearly, but that was a good performance. The second half performance against Liverpool was good. And so to then follow up with this, it felt pretty depressing. Um one player that didn't come off the bench this time was was Bergvine. Um a lot's happened this week around Bergvine and and none of it good. Um Nathan how how have you felt about this sort of social media backlash against him to to the point where he's had to close off replies on his instagram accounts
2: yeah it's really grim isn't it um uh, as pleased as i was to see lacelsso in the same team as dombele for the for the brief period of time where it happened i was hoping that uh we would get sort of a show of confidence and another start for bergvain from Mourinho. uh so for him to not home with the benches little annoying um because yeah he's he's been getting abuse some of it racist on on social media um i mean essentially like because of the state of the world that we live in and the nature of social media at all times all players are receiving abuse for playing well or playing badly or whatever so it's not like this is a a created situation uh, but it's got bad enough that he's yeah he's he's closed off his his instagram replies or whatever else which is upsetting um he missed a chance uh <laughs> i don't really know you know he he has put up less than one expected goal in the premier league this season it's not like he's getting loads of chances and he's being wasteful his role in the team uh in a setup in which you attack at such a pace where only one player gets into the box, right? You find Harry Kane as quickly as possible. He lobs the ball over the top. Son gets into the box and shoots. Where is Bergvine meant to be getting chances, creating chances for others? Bergvine's role in this setup is to be a facilitator for others, to um, move the ball smartly when he's in possession and for most of the game to perform a defensive role from, from a winger's position. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's, it's not his fault that he's not putting up a huge amount of chances. And because he's not putting up a huge amount of chances, when he gets one, when he hasn't, you know, seen sight of go in weeks and he gets a shot from not in a brilliant position anyway. And he puts it loose and he hits the, he hits the post. It's not like he skied it. It's not like it was a Moose Sissoko shot where like some poor ball boys got to go up to the upper stand and no one's been in for weeks. He hits the post. Seconds later, uh, Harry Kane has a similar Poor quality miss, but people aren't digging out Harry Kane, are they? Because he scored a whole bunch of goals. Bergvine is a really, really special, talented young player. Um, his greatest strength is that he is versatile both across position and role. He can play on the left, he can play in the middle, he can play on the right, he could be an outside ball carrying dribbler on either wing he can move inside and be a, a shooter he can be a creative player he can be someone who just takes the ball along nicely he's got defensive skills he's a really really good player uh, and we should be pleased that he is seeing the pitch for us yeah
1: I I agree I'm 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 up on Bergvine and I feel I, I mean not I'm not surprised obviously I'm not surprised by this at all I mean I get I get enough Shit on Twitter to realize that Christ! If you <laughs> if you if you multiply your following by a million, like it gets a lot worse. And I I really feel for for Bergwijn. Um Brian, what what's your view on bergvine so far? So I don't disagree
6: with you know generally speaking what Nathan said, but I think we've talked about on our show previously is that position that he's playing and, and Musa Sissoko. Those are obviously the two weak links in our starting eleven. And, and while I think that that Nathan's right, that Bergwein is a special talent and that, you know, in what he's asked to do, he does pretty well. I think we're still missing something from that role in that position now, you know. I don't think that anybody that we have on the team provides probably what Jose is looking for there. I mean, you know, we don't have, you know, a Willian type of player who is, you know, putting in the graft and tackles and then also provides width and good final balls and, you know, excellent set piece delivery. We don't have that. And that's, you know, Prime Willian, not Arsenal Willian, obviously. Um, but it's just like, so, so I, while I want, something more, something better from that position. I just don't, I, I don't know who gives us that. Like, is playing Vinicius, you know, as a striker, you know, to play two up top, is that something that works better there? Is, you know, Lucas just with his pace and running, does that work better? I don't know. But, like, I do definitely think that we can improve on the team with something different in that role. Not that not that Bergvine is doing it
1: particularly badly, but it could be accomplished better i mean I'm, I'm definitely open to that position being improved upon for sure um i don't think lucas is the one and this is the problem so if you if you want to bring in someone who's not at the club already you need to sell you need to make space in the squad because we're, we're stacking up wingers or players that nominally play wide uh there's not a lot of space there and and these are these aren't players who are on low wages either you know bale lucas they're on big money delhi another one who's who's not getting in the team but that's probably the position he'd he'd end up um, playing they're on huge money so we need to get rid of some before we get someone else in um Bardi, so i know he, we, we spoke about bergvine quite a bit um, and we quite like him as a player what do you think his is sort of his ceiling is and will he will he arrive at that ceiling at spurs
5: uh, it, it really kind of depends what jose wants to do with him i mean he likes his the, the more and more I, I see this um, Spurs team, the more and more it starts to remind me of, of Jose's inter-team. Um, with Zanetti sometimes used to play inside midfield to drop back and cover Micon So you've got Sissoko doing that at the moment, covering Aurier. And then you've got his wide forwards who were just workaholics and then playing on the counter. And then you've got Endon where Schneider is and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. I don't know, for Bergwijn, I think he's, he remains a good player. I don't think he's ever going to be like top level, but he, he does a good job. And this whole kind of social media thing, it's a bit Arsenal, man. It's a bit Arsenal going after him like this. And the the piling probably probably was a lot of spurs in there, but then everybody just, they saw an opportunity to go in and, and get after somebody, and it happened. So it's just, I'd like... to. It's a ridiculous thing I'm going to say now, so I'm going to caveat it. But just wish football fans weren't such fucking dickheads, you know. But we, <laughs> we, we are, we all are. So, um, but just just be dickheads in your own house. No need to start throwing shit everywhere else. So I I, I don't want to criticise Bergvaien because of everything that's gone this week. He he remains a good player, and I think he probably should have started against Leicester. That would, as Nathan said, a good bit of good vote of confidence, and I think he would have given us yeah. something that Lascelleso. Can't give us in those wide positions.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Fair enough. Fair, fair enough. enough. I I actually thought Cel- it was one of La Celso's weakest uh, performances up until the moment his legs fell off. Yeah, I don't I don't like him in that forward position. I saw him play there a few times for Argentina, PSG, and I like I like my favorite GLC is my deep GLC, nice and nice and deep, sorting of stuff out there.
1: So as we come to terms with our title challenge being over in the space of a week, uh, our attention turns to the Europa League and a competition we might we might be able to win. Um, ben, how are you feeling about the Europa League at this point? Is it still feeling very kind of Thursday night, Channel 5 to you, or is this a competition that you enjoy?
4: Well, I mean, I think as we fall into fifth in the league, you know, we have to look at the Europa League as a real possibility as our only avenue back into the Champions League next year. Um, no, I still think the top four is on. I'm just kidding. Uh, i, I do not.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> the Europa League. I've always enjoyed the Europa League. I think, you know, when I first became a, a Spurs fan in, in the Martin Yule years, being in the Europa League was an exciting thing. And I've never felt like we're too too good for that, too big for that. We've never won it. We've seen, you know, Man U show up once in a while, and oh, they took home the Europa League. We've seen Chelsea go through it and take home the Europa League. Like, You know, we've been in there like a million times. It would be nice to, like, add that trophy to our very sparse trophy cabinet um, and bring it home. And, you know, it really does give us another avenue back into the Champions League for next year, which would be nice. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to watch Spurs twice a week. If it's not going to be in the Champions League, I'm happy for it to be in the Europa League. I think, you know, I think what we've lost by being Champions League regulars that – is some of the benefit of the Europa League is the ability to see a guy like Carlos Vinicius or Deli Alli work their way back into a team by having some good performances and getting a run that they wouldn't otherwise get. You know, seeing Dane Scarlet go out there and look like a 16-year-old who looks capable of playing against adults and seeing Harvey White, you know, pick passes the way he does, I, I love that. And I, you know, that if we remember, Harry Kane got into this team in the first place on the back of a really good Europa League run. And if it weren't for that, I am not confident that, you know, he would have taken his gotten his chance and and really run with it the way that he did. So, you know, I think it's a real exciting opportunity in a lot of ways for for both the squad and squad management and keeping guys happy and seeing exciting new guys. Um, And also just it's another trophy to win. And, you know, you, you do run into good teams as this goes on. It's not just all random
1: Slovakian farmers that you've never heard of. So, yeah, I love it. Or Austrian farmers, as it turns out. We well, seem to be playing all the Austrian teams. Wolfsburg's uh,
3: Austrian
4: non-union equivalent.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I got entirely too long to realize we weren't playing the actual Wolfsburg in Germany. <laughs> a lot of people were, were definitely fooled by that. Um, Greg, uh, I think Ben raises some really good points there. and It kind of just makes me feel better about the whole thing, to be honest. And I, I think it is legitimately a really, um, you know, is it could be our main route into the Champions League. So it's a legitimately important trophy to to go for. Um, We are favourites to win the competition and have been for a while. Do you expect us to win it? No, I mean, I I don't expect
3: us to win it. And that's not... Uh, any reflection on what Spurs are doing? I mean, it's a little bit of a reflection on the kind of week we just had. But I mean, honestly, it's a knockout tournament. It's weird. Like now we're now we're getting into the stage where like you know we could. I mean, probably not against Wolfsburg or or, or whoever. But they're out do you pronounce their name? But you know what? I mean, if we get into a match with like I don't know, Man United or. Inter whoever in the... I mean, you know, that could go either way. I like our chances. I think it's good, and it's exciting. It's, you know, this is, this is a European trophy. I know it's not, like, the European Cup, but I think we'd all enjoy, A, having a parade, B, like, shoving it up Arsenal's ass, um, you know, because they've never won it, and it'll be our third time winning it, and wouldn't that be fun? You know, and there is... I, I want to say Jonathan Wilson. Some writer was writing a thing about Mourinho at some point when he took over Chelsea, and he put... Um, a lot of priority on winning the League Cup early on there because he thought it was important for his team to win things. And for whatever else I might disagree with about Jose Mourinho, I don't think that's a bad way to sort of like, you know, get the team expecting different things, especially a team like Spurs, which quite frankly hasn't won a lot in recent years. So, you know, I think winning anything would be good. A Trophies would be great. But, you know, I think a European trophy, even if it is the Europa League, is, I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at, especially, you know, there's not a Cup Winners' Cup or an Inner Toto Cup. I mean, there's there's only two of them these days. And winning one, I think, would be a hell of an accomplishment, uh, even if it's maybe not the one that we wish we had won two years ago. Um, I, I think it would be really fun. And I think the thing that I think we all overlook about the Europa League, because we're, you know, we're talking about, you know, as like Ben said, beating, you know, Slovakian farmers or whatever is it I think the games will get more exciting as we sort of get into the business end of the competition and we start playing a some teams that we know but b some of the better teams that maybe we you know don't probably not from Austria but you know we're going to run into some teams like you know club bruges or whoever um, who can put up a fight and i think those games will probably be a lot of fun to watch assuming that you know, this COVID season doesn't, you know, everybody doesn't have hamstring pulls by then, and we're, you know, <laughs> watching the entire under 23s team run out there, which I
2: guess would be exciting in a whole different way. So, yeah. that's, that's or, your ideal situation, Wendy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm not going to lie. It probably is. Um, as, so, as, as we've just explored there, I mean, it is going to be increasingly diff- difficult to manage um, the squad. As we advance or assuming we advance into the latter stages of the Europa League, something that might help segueing there. Did you notice that (laughs) segwaying into our next segment is uh, some some new additions and the transfer window will be open for business once again soon.
4: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer.
1: we had a question from Dan Alvarez, who said, uh, whether or not we think it's the right idea, it does feel like Winks and Delhi are coming to the end of their time with us. I was wondering what kind of deal you'd be looking for if you were Levy. In some ways, it feels easier to value Winks, something like 25 to 35 million range to, uh, to a solid upwardly mobile club like Everton Villa or Leeds. Delhi is tougher because of his potential and past production. But if we could get 40-ish mil for him on the continent, that would leave us with a nice little pile of cash is this the real painful rebuild that potch warned us about End quote um bardi i heard you chuckling there. Uh, is, yeah. that, is, is that the, the valuation of harry winks that you were laughing at
5: no it's the uh, the um referring to um teams that are above us as up, upwardly mobile which <laughs> did make it did make me chuckle with teams which are kind of where we are um I think Winks is going to have a renaissance renaissance my god I mean I mean I mean Colombia my pronunciations have gone funny I think Winks is going to come back and have a really strong Christmas period I have I don't know where this faith in him has come from but I I just think he will so I don't think Winks will be leaving Delhi I think will be sold for sure because um, I think Mourinho's just fed up of answering questions about a player that he doesn't want at the club. And it's just the situation of, of where he goes. Now with with Neymar's legs, in, Neymar's leg is an absolute crumbled biscuit. Perhaps PSG now make a move for him because they might need a little bit of creativity there. Nathan,
1: um, sadly, I think we do have to assume that these are two players that, that feasibly mm. could leave. Um, what kind of money would you be looking for? Uh,
2: if I was Daniel Levy, I would be looking for the sums proposed by the question and therefore having a very hard time getting the sales that we want, which is the trend that we have seen a hell of a lot in the last couple of years from Spurs and and Levy's valuations. I think Levy's valuations these used to do us a hell of a lot of good, uh, you know, a few years ago when teams were even more clueless than they are now. But because uh YouTube is available <laughs> worldwide, uh they can they can look at, you know, not spending forty million. I mean, I, I, I maintain that it would be smart to spend forty million on Delhi because he's that good. If you can, you know, get him back into into shape and into form and everything else, and, and utilize him well. Um, but I don't think clubs will look at him that way. So, um, as much as it would certainly be good for each of them to move on, and it makes sense because of how we've not used them and, and everything else, uh, for us to be moving them on in January, I can see us having a hard time because yeah, these are. Uh, players who first and foremost leave will say are sort of homegrown and therefore worth more than clubs are going to be prepared to pay for them. Mm-hmm. Um, ben,
1: as chairman of the Harry Winks uh, fan club, in fact, can, <laughs> I mean, you have to sort me out with one of those pin badges at some point. Um, as chairman of the Harry Winks fan club, how do you feel about him potentially leaving?
4: Oh, man, I'm just really, really broken up by the fact. that... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I look, I love Harry Winks as a person. I was very excited <laughs> um, You know, I remember him and Tom Carroll sharing bus rides, playing Parcheesi and some shit. Like, they were very cute, and it was very nice. Um, but he's just hasn't been at the level that we aspire to, and, you know, I think there's roles for him, but, you know, I think the reality is, is there's probably a better future for him somewhere else, and I will always wish him well, you know, wherever he goes, but I will... Not be sorry to see the back of him. Unfortunately, I will be sorry to see the back of Dale Kelly. I think that's an mm. absolute catastrophe. But hopefully, Daniel Levy's valuation is uh, high enough that keeps the from happening. Maybe we can fluke our way back into a a deli detente like we had with Adombe over the summer. And uh, I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, the thing with Winks is he hasn't been. Well, maybe he has. I was going to say he hasn't been out of a team enough to see his value plummet in the same way that, that Delhi's has plummeted over the last, what, six months to a year. Um, so we can still pr- probably get a reasonable amount of money for Winks. Whereas with Delhi, I think, like Nathan says, 40 million, if we were to get that, would potentially be a, a massive bargain because he could easily be worth double that in like six to 12 months mm-hmm. um, while he's playing again. Um, um, Greg, any thoughts?
3: Yeah, I think the fees that you were talking about, I think so much of it goes back to sort of what our expectations were. Like, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this on our podcast recently, but, you know, we all kind of thought Dele Alli would be the kind of guy we'd be like fighting Real Madrid or Manchester United off to sort of keep him around, you know, by now. I think we all figured he'd be at that level. And for one reason or another, he isn't. And, you know, Harry Winks was sort of a nice player in our youth system who broke through and got really good It never quite sort of maybe realized the potential we were all hoping for. So I think those sort of set those expectations as to what kind of fees we want. And of course, COVID is going to sort of just throw a wrench into that. But it's just, I don't know, Delhi confounds me. I've talked to Ben about this, but it's Mourinho clearly doesn't want him in the team, but we're not getting the sort of accompanying freeze-out we usually get when a player is not getting minutes. He's still all over our social media. They're doing charity events with him. Uh, Mourinho is far—correct me if I'm wrong—he has not slagged him off in the press in a while, and not nothing compared to what he did to Ndombele last year. I mean, obviously we had the stuff in the sort of all-or-nothing documentary, but that was, I think, fairly mild by Mourinho's standards. It's just very— clearly doesn't like him i just can't help but wondering if something else is going on there what i I, maybe it's an i don't think it's an injury thing i think we would have heard about that but it's it's very strange to me on many levels and i I wish i could explain it or there was something to explain it because i can't
1: so we've spoken about who might leave the club and bring in the funds to 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 facilitate new signings and and brian you already mentioned potentially a a winger might be an option, um, but what other positions would you be looking for? Uh, I mean,
6: <clears throat> a right back, um, another central defender, um, a young player to back up Hoyberg when he inevitably gets a knee injury in about March. Um, you, you know, I, look, th- we did a good job, I think, of this summer of adding depth to a squad that, that needed quality depth and needed strengthening in certain positions. And and so like all the turnover that didn't happen in years past, we kind of started to supplement the squad, but like there's still depth issues here. And, and you know, I don't think we're going to spend the money to get, you know, a top end signing. That's going to push us over the edge towards, you know, actually challenging for the title. So w- what do you need? You want, you want to bring in additional young players or additional Players with potential. You w- you want a signing like Bergwijn, um, who you know came at a fairly reasonable price, played a position of need, and also has potential to develop into a really good player. Um, so you know, midfield player that can do that. I mean, uh, the kid from France this summer that was linked, that was rumored to be like eight or ten million pounds, and then we didn't sign him, and everybody else jumped on board. That like a player like that. You know, someone that can play a defensive midfield, a position of need, someone that's not Getson, um, you know, that's kind of what we need. I have no idea who is actually out there or what the amount of money we have to spend is. So I'm not entirely
1: confident that we'll do any real amount of business, but that's what we should be looking for. Isn't it strange that we have this really good squad now? And I would say it's like one of the best squads that I've known since I've been following Spurs. And yet we've still got all these positions of need that we we can just reel off. I mean, you, you didn't even mention goalkeeper there, but I would say like a, a a good goalkeeper backup or someone to look towards, you know... What's wrong with Joe Hart? You know, well,
0: quite, yeah. Would you
1: like <laughs> me to answer uh, that
2: question?
1: Joe Hart needs
4: somebody to back him up, though. That's <laughs> cool.
6: One. <laughs> I mean you know I think that's I think that's true though Wendy of, of like all the top teams I mean if you mm. look at Liverpool they're not without their weaknesses like you know they've had to play a number of their academy players and while guys like Curtis Jones and the goalkeeper whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce like those guys have proven to be actually very good and very ready like you if you were if you were Liverpool's coaching staff or you were a Liverpool fan you would want you know experienced top quality players at those positions ready to go now they've been bailed out by jones and williams and the center back and the goalkeeper all being actually very good and actually ready we're probably not in that same position you know our best young players are you know 16 years old not 18 19 um so so i mean that that happens with everybody regardless of financial situation or or how good over the squad is overall
1: Sure, sure. And I guess uh, some of our best young players are already like tied up for the rest of the year. I'm thinking Skip specifically. He's someone that could absolutely hold down a place in the squad right now. But um, Norwich have him until the end of the season. Um, So you mentioned right back. uh, We had a question from Henry Bourne and this this kind of piqued my interest. He said following the game with Leicester, a player I was keen to watch was James Justin, a player I followed since his Luton days. With right back a position that Spurs will need to review either in summer or next. Would he be a player you would consider for this role? Personally I really like him. Not sure Leicester would sell to us, however. End quote. Um Nathan, I mean you don't have to talk about Justin specifically, but but right back is gonna be a tricky one now, right? Because I mean we're kind of back in the position we were before, whereby I mean we we bought in Dorty. We we're expecting him to be probably first choice, he's he's not. Is he even trusted now? I don't know. And we've got Aurier who has become first choice again, but there are historic problems with Aurier and he's reaching an age where you probably want to think about selling him to recoup maximum value anyway. Um, how do we manage that right back situation? And, and out of interest, what do you think of Justin as a player?
2: Yeah. Justin James is <laughs> Justin James. Fucking hell. James, Justin. He's got
1: two first names. It's he's confusing. got two first
2: names. It's not fair. Uh Yeah. He's good, no matter what you call him. Uh, Leicester won't sell to us, certainly not a reasonable price. Um, do you remember literally last episode, Wendy, when you mm. insisted that we mustn't sell Zorjoria in January? <laughs> um, I would probably be looking to sell Zajaria in January. Um, yeah, there are some good options. I like, um, I like Buter. Buter, who we played, or Relio Buter, who we played uh, a few weeks ago for Antwerp. Um, I'm not sure how he's getting on this season other than in his games against us or game and half against us. Um, yeah, there are good options out there. Uh, Lampty is probably going to be attracting a hell of a lot of interest. Um, but it's probably not completely out of our price range maybe. Uh, he's out of Mourinho's height range though. That is a very strong point that you have made there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um yeah, there are there are good right backs out there for sure. Boots are actually on the shorter side as well, so that's uh that's annoying. Um tall, taller right backs are, are is a it's a more difficult uh, market. I might have to I might have to uh, start fishing around at some, you know, five nine plus right backs and <laughs> then see see who's left.
1: Well, Justin has some height. I, I think he's good. I think he's really good. But like you said, I can't imagine Leicester selling. And if they were to, I mean, so they've got Pereira and and Justin yeah. challenging for right backs. That is, I mean, I would I would happily have that as my choice of right backs at Spurs. That's a they're spoiled essentially. Um, and and you, you you mentioned last episode where I said we must not sell Aurier. And yes, I did say that. Uh, I, I think. If if we were if we considered ourselves to be in a title race, then absolutely we should not sell Serge Aurier. Um, but that doesn't mean I want Serge Aurier at the club. <laughs> I, I definitely don't want Serge Aurier at first. If I can if I cannot have Serge Aurier here, I'm I'm happy. Um, okay, so so like that's that neatly segues actually onto some sort of expectations for for how the season might pan out. Um Actually, I noticed Daniel Storey for Football 365 pointed something out in an article this morning, which I found interesting. So here's what he wrote. Tottenham have only won half of their league games this season and are currently on course to earn 68 points. That total was bettered by Maurizio Pochettino in each of his four final seasons in charge. Spurs are also closer to 13th place than Liverpool in points terms. That took me back a little bit because you know it had felt like things were going fairly well, and I know the the mention of Pochettino will rile people up because we need to just move on from him in the eyes of, of many of our listeners.
5: Um, but Bardi, how did you how did you feel when you saw that? Um, well, I hadn't seen it until you until you read it out. It's, it the, the whole league is confusing this season. Man, Manchester United are terrible, but they're they're doing really well. Manchester City are awful, but they seem to be doing okay as well. It's. It's, it's a wide-open league. Well, it was until Liverpool started um, yeah. putting stuff on their cornflakes again. And now they, they run like madmen. So no one's catching Liverpool. Um, so I still think top four is still available. And when we started the season, that was what we were aiming for, top four. The title challenge, I guess... What happens at the moment is teams get on a favorable run of games and they collect maximum points and then whoosh they go straight up the table and all of a sudden it's like oh hello they're back, um, which is kind of what happened to us before this run in where we've played some of the best teams. I think once we start playing some of the some of the trash again, we'll start collecting three points and all of a sudden we'll start dreaming about the title again. But I, I think being realistic, a top four and a trophy—that's we would have taken that to start of the season and we got maybe. I, I definitely got ahead of myself. But I'm still happy. Top four in a trophy would be amazing. Top four on its own would be great. I know this is um, perhaps not why, not the reason why we sacked uh, Pochettino and hired a winner in Jose, but top four is is still a, a great achievement. And if we do get that, Jose would never stop crowing about it. So, yeah, I hope he does. Have, I hope my manager can crow about something at the end of the season.
0: Yeah,
5: Just trying to
1: imagine, like... What happens if he misses top four and misses a trophy?
5: No, I mean, no, we're not talking about that. Like, yeah, yeah, honest. yeah. You're right. You're we're right. Ju- right. We're, go- he- we're gonna finish top, we're gonna scrape into top four, we're gonna win the league cup, and Mourinho's gonna do shushing noises at everybody. He's <laughs> yeah. gonna be like, Yeah, all right, mate. That's not kind of why we pay you fifteen million pounds a year, but we've only got two league we've only got two trophies in in 30 years or something ridiculous like that. So if it's a league cup we get It's a League Cup I'd be happy with. So, Brooks Jones um, wrote to us saying, is it possible
1: for us as Spurs fans to lose perspective in the thrill of this title race, in inverted commas? Would a top four finish with a lesser trophy still be a success? Conversely, could the disappointment be valid because of the circumstances around the league this year? And I think another reason for the criticism being valid... being that we've got a really good team and we've got the best striker in the league and, you know, the best goal-scoring winger this season in the league as well. Um, Brian, what what would be satisfactory to you?
6: Well, I think Barty hit the nail on the head, you know top four in a trophy that's that's what we signed up for that's what we mortgaged our future on when we signed Jose Mourinho and not some other you know younger different better manager like we we said you know we're running it back with this squad we're not getting younger we're not moving on from players like Aldo Vareld and um you know we're we're, we're signing peak players in terms of you know bringing in Hoiberg. um you know this is what we said we said top four in a trophy title challenge in a trophy you know whatever that's that that has to be the goal um you know and and while i think it would be unusual for a group of podcasters to lose perspective um (laughs) yeah it's entirely possible that you know three losses three poor performances in a row will make you do that um but you know I, i i think ultimately where we are is is still you know where i kind of envisioned this season going um we had a really good run to kind of catapult us into first and you know everybody was talking about oh, spurs haven't been top of the table at the end of a week since you know whatever the 80s or whatever the statistic was and then we did that two weeks in a row and then it was like oh this is amazing the title challenge is on and we were all yes the title challenge is on spurs are going to win the league Partially because that's what we're supposed to do. And also because, you know, believing in that stuff feels good and it's fun. And then, so, you know, you have three poor performances in a row and yeah, now this sucks and we're going to get relegated. Um, But we'll also get relegated with Arsenal. So whatever. (laughs) But I I think very much still in this, I don't think anybody really... uh, I think prior to the Liverpool match, you could hope for a title challenge. And then after the Liverpool match... A lot of people just adjusted their expectations we were like, all right, you know what? Actually, not on that level, but definitely still top four. And then the Leicester match happens and you get a little bit down. I I don't think there's any reason to
1: recalibrate from top four in trophy. I think that's still eminently achievable. Definitely achievable. Definitely achievable.
2: Um, Go on, Nathan. Um. I I I do think it's disappointing that like I, it looked for a little while like the league might be open to us to a team of our sort of performance levels for a while before Liverpool got into gear and now it seems very likely that that is gone. Um and then yeah, you can contextualize sort of the idea of top 4 and a uh, uh, a secondary trophy um from the perspective of of um of coming down from that league, but you can also do like um where we were sort of 14, 16 months ago and the, the chaos that we're in and the improvement it would be to go from that to sort of again, yeah back in the Champions League and, and lifting a trophy. Uh, but for me, as has already been pointed out, of course, it, it, it has to be that because that's the deal that we've made, right? It has to be that. And the price that we're paying for that is watching the Leicester game and, and watching a lot of weekly football is that it's not great to watch. It doesn't necessarily make you feel proud um, you can have worries about where things might be going long term. But the trade, the deal, the guarantee that is made to you is that you will win something. So um, as harsh as that might seem, again, based on where we were a while ago, that's got to be that's got to be what's on the line. Otherwise, what are we doing?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm fully on board with that view. And I, I feel like I feel like that's why Ben found yesterday's uh, performance so difficult. Boy, we sell ourselves so cheaply,
4: don't we? Uh, <laughs> You know, I I had a really hard time with with Jose Mourinho being hired. It's just a very not natural ideological fit um, between the, between the club and manager. Um, but the idea of a not just a trophy, but the Premier League title was enough for me to become you know a huge Jose apologist. Um, you know, and try to tell myself, like, yeah, we only took eight shots this game, but like three of them were pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you know, this week made that increasingly hard to do. Honestly, even after the Liverpool game, I was I was pretty positive um, about our response in the second half. And then and then Lester just sort of broke something inside of me. Um and I, you know, I think it's been pointed out that you know this is the toughest part of our season. Um, you know, but barring one more game against Wolves, we're kind of in the clear. Um, and as we're recording this, Wolves is currently lo- losing to Burnley, so maybe Wolves isn't going to be that tough, and we can get back to winning ways. Um, you know, as always, top four in a trophy is the best season we've had since the '60s. Um, so I will never ever turn my nose up at that. But you know, I don't know fifth in a league cup for jose Mourinho. i'm not sure how i'm going to square that bargain with with my soul um Ooh. and if that's what we get i really hope we don't sell deli alley in january because we may have some rethinking to do in the summer what about eighth in a europa league how feel like that? <laughs> that's great We qualify for the championship next year sack jose in the
1: summer and then go out there and play some champagne football in august Right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the, the sad thing is that's that's the place your mind goes to. You start thinking, well, life after Jose might not be so bad. And and that's that's not where you want to be as a, as a football fan. You want to see your club constantly moving forward and, and feeling like you're seeing progress. I think that's, that's what's been lacking this season um, for me. And that's why, to be honest, the, the Leicester game I didn't find that difficult to take. Because my expectations were low. Because I, you know, whilst I have really admired the performances against City and Liverpool and Chelsea was was fine-ish and Arsenal, you know, great. Whilst I admired those, I've not seen a lot in many of the other games that's that's made me think this is a title-winning team or this is a really even a really really good team. Um, Newcastle, I thought, I thought was a fine performance. You know, if we played more like we did against Newcastle more often then I think we'd do better and I think we'd be fine. But we, we just haven't seen that. So I'm thinking Burnley, West Brom, Brighton, now Leicester. There's a pattern there of us struggling to, to break down teams that, that that set up in a defensive way and counterattack us. And that's, that's problematic because that's a lot of the league. Oh, Greg, were you going to say something then?
3: Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel like I know a lot of Spurs fans are really struggling with Mourinho, and it's not something I was always thrilled with, but I guess the way I was able to rationalize it this year, I think I want to take it all the way back to what something we talked about earlier, it was Bergvine, and that he didn't play well at the beginning of the year. He was out injured for a few weeks, and he came back, I want to say, was it against City? And, like, instantly, even though he's not, like, sort of hitting his shots, but, like, the thing that really impressed me was, like, when we do launch these, what I think are, and again, not as many as I would like to see, but with these very pretty counterattacks, which are very fun to watch. And these guys are just popping the ball off to each other. And what impressed me the most about it, which gave me sort of, a, and maybe I'm clutching at straws, in fact, I, I'm definitely clutching at straws here. But in that City game in particular, Birdvine was like one of the guys making these really impressive moves and some very sort of like very good understanding of where everybody was on the pitch in terms of like getting the ball off and trying to make these counters work and that was something that actually gave me a lot of encouragement because here's a guy who hadn't been playing a lot, hadn't been playing particularly well, coming off an injury and he's already integrated and it's like very impressive counter attack we have going and you know, you sort of for me, that was sort of this basis of like, okay, well, there's something to cling on to. Yes, we're going to have some dire games or at least some dire periods of games to watch. But when we do this, it's very fun. And we seem to be – it seems to be a little bit more than just Cain and Son. But like you said, you watch a game like Leicester, which you know, if you're being generous again, some things just didn't go our way in that game. And that's part of why it was so ugly to watch. It's – you're just – I guess I – yeah, the progression seems to have stalled a little bit. And maybe it's just not – Again, this has been kind of a weird week, and if if we were recording this after Liverpool, I think we'd all feel at least a little mm-hmm. bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just hope it's one bad day at the office. But it—I don't know. We, we're uh, one thing with sports. I keep telling myself is always do. Do I feel like I'm trying to talk myself into something? And I think you're probably almost certainly doing that with either what I'm talking about or watching Spurs this year. Is like you're sort of like okay. Well, these problems that you you can sort of see around the team either aren't going to happen or aren't as bad as maybe people are saying. And in terms of, like, where our goal is going to come from, how are we going to assert ourselves against teams that don't play into our hands? It's, these are problems that, yes, at a minimum, will probably keep us from challenging to a title and are probably going to be a bigger issue than that.
1: Fair enough. Um, we need to cheer ourselves up a bit, I think. So <laughs> I, I like this question from, from Matt, who C mapc91 on Twitter. Uh, Matt says, if you had either Stevie, Bergvine, Harry Kane, or Winksy as Secret Santa, what would you get them? anyone
5: have any thoughts on secret Santa gifts gone buddy well it's very difficult to buy these multi-million multi-millionaire footballers anything of use because they've already got it and but the one thing, I'd probably buy Harry Kane. It would be two things I'd buy. Him. I'd buy him two books. One would be a book of inspirational quotes. And the other book would be uh, your top tips on how to give a motivational speech. Because if anything came out of all or nothing, he, he doesn't know how to inspire people other than just <laughs> repeatedly swearing. And, you know, that may work once. But just dropping F-bombs isn't really going to get Aurier in the mood to, like, hold his position and not do stupid things. So two books for Harry or maybe audiobooks. Or might be no, I'm i being really bad there. No. Edit that out. Edit that out. Edit that out. Edit that out. I've got a feeling Nathan is not
1: even gonna think of editing that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything for Bergvine or Winxy?
3: Yeah, I would buy Bergvine a very large gift card to a tattoo parlor so he could get a big blue arrow tattooed onto his head so he can really complete the Avatar tattoo look that he has going on. He already has, he already has Aang on his chest, so he just needs to just buy entirely into that.
1: Nice. And what about Winx, you know? Assuming you know, assuming he's still at the club. I don't know what Ben
2: would get for Winx. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: so get phone numbers at
1: Everton. Uh, <laughs> Merseyside A to Z. Yeah. <laughs> poor Harry, poor Harry. Um, nice. Okay. This one's from Gianni Nico Cinelli. Barty, how was my pronunciation?
5: Cinelli. That's pretty good. Wendy. Cinelli, pretty good. Yeah. Should, we should ask um, Nathan, though. He is our up and coming Italian
1: speaker of the podcast. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Let's go live to our Italian correspondent, Nathan A. Clark.
2: Clark, yo. <laughs> I thought Bardi did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> you thought the actual yeah. Italian did
1: a reasonable job. If
2: the C is followed by an E or an A, an I even, it's a ch sound. Now you know. <laughs>
1: So uh, Gianni says this. Can you compare Tottenham's last twenty odd years to a team in the league today? Like, what team today? Explain where Spurs were at, at, where where they were in their past. Or to make it easier, where can a younger fan go to to learn about like, this club's history? And that was part of a, a longer email from Gianni, who who sends really good emails. Um. Uh, so, which clubs, Bardi, well, Which clubs would you compare Spurs of twenty years ago to?
5: Just because this guy sounds Italian, but. I'm not saying this but this is a this is a really good question and it's um, I've been I've been pondering it and the only club that I can really think of is, is Wolves because if you look back Wolves had the best period of success they had it in the 50s ours was the 60s and in the 50s Wolves won the league title three times and they had nowhere else to go because back then European Cup didn't exist so they 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 were innovators they installed floodlights and started playing like televised games in the evening they would they would invite friendlies over get the best teams in Europe Uh, play friendlies against them and you know they they smashed them including they played um that's awful pronunciation someone will tell me Mm -hmm. off which were the hungarian team that was pretty much the the national team that pumped england and what i really liked about that little fact is the english media then proclaimed in typical english media fashion wolves the Mm -hmm. the greatest team in the world because they they won a couple of friendlies which is what we see now with England they beat Wales and you know they're the best team in the world um, and so they were those friendlies under the floodlights were instrumental in, in starting up the, the European Cup and now if you look at Wolves what they're doing now um, it's kind of what we were doing in the early 2000s when our scouting would be looking for a player is he young is he English yes let's sign him <laughs> Wolves are very much doing that now. With is he is he young? Is he Portuguese? Yes, yes. Let let's sign him. So there's a lot of similarities there. And you know, we just said that they're losing now, so that's very Spursy as well. Mm-hmm. That they they're meant to be this team that's going to crack the the top four, the top five, or whatever it is these days. But they they're not doing it, and they just remind me a lot of Spurs under Martinez, where we would go and try and find these um, these. Trying to nerf gems and sometimes it works. We find the Dimitar. Sometimes it didn't work. Uh, sometimes we just had players at the wrong time, like Kevin Prince botang And Wolves are pretty pretty similar to how we were in the early two thousands. And
1: that
5: sen- sensational shout of Wolves
1: it hadn't even crossed my mind. I was thinking um, Aston Villa for similar mm. reasons. In that you know, big in big in the sixties uh, had some sort of demise. I mean, we, we never we never well we we have been relegated in our history, but you know, not for a while. Um, but Villa now, they're, I feel like they're on the cusp of, of becoming good again. They're not quite there yet, but they've got some really good players. Again, they've got um, young English talent, Watkins, Grealish, mid-20s, aren't they? Um, they signed Matt Target as well, who's another English player, Tyrone Mings. So there, there's a definite similarity there to, to Spurs of 20 years ago. Um, can anyone recommend somewhere to go to learn about our club's history?
3: julie welch's book um the history of totten hotspur is actually a very good resource um not only for the broad strokes there's lots of little interesting details in there certainly you know the broad is from wikipedia articles and whatever a lot of that you absorb especially as an american fan who um you know isn't brought up in this um but there's a lot of little details in there that you know are gonna i'm sure you guys were raised with but you know certainly over here kind of slip between the cracks
1: nice nice and i think that you know just trying to listening to podcasts is a, about Spurs is a really good way of learning stuff because we tend to reference things that happened in the past quite regularly like you know it might we not might not be talking through the, the 61 double winning teams by name and, and such like but we'll we'll talk about the fact that it happened that you know these things crop up every now and again so thinking back 20 years uh, makes me feel good about how we are right now because at that point Arsenal were a good team they're no longer a good team uh ben are you enjoying the fall from grace um i am more more than most um i I, you know as many people
4: may know my wife is an arsenal fan and uh, her whole family are arsenal fans and her best friend is an arsenal fan and i'm surrounded by these people and uh you know i think (laughs) that
1: was kind of people you don't need to call them people
4: (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah i mean I think I put so much stock in the title challenge because seeing us win the league while they got relegated <laughs> couldn't have been you know a, a better season. Um, I will happily settle for a relegation fight for Arsenal no matter what happens to us. Um, especially as they like persist in thinking like M- Mikel Arteta is this visionary genius who's just let down by everybody around him. Um, it's amazing to watch the knots that they tie themselves into to defend. Mm everything that's happening over there.
3: Is there a cultural thing we're missing here? Because, like, every athletic writer seems to, like... Like, they, I don't know if they're related to Arteta or what, but the, the the way that everyone seems, like Ben said, is twisting themselves and not to be like, oh, no, he's he's fine. He'll get it. He just needs his players or time or whatever. It's it's frankly baffling. I mean, I'm enjoying it, but it's baffling to me.
1: In the same way that Jose Mourinho gets a pretty rough time. I, I, I think personally I think it's because these guys attend the press conferences regularly and Arteta seems like a very decent man he seems like a perfectly fine person Uh, Mourinho is you know almost like a, a caricature of himself at times and he's great for a story but he's not someone you'd necessarily want to go for a pint with so I think the temptation to shit on Mourinho is there whereas you might want to protect Arteta a little bit but um in in the same way that you know, thinking of Arteta as a nice man that you want to protect is is fine from a let's protect him, we're a journalist perspective. It's not the kind of person you want at your football club as the manager. Like, he seems, he just seems like a, he seems broken at the moment. It's, it's crazy. You know, the stuff that he's come out with this week around that the, the, they lost to Spurs when they had like a 7% chance of losing that match or something based on situational XG. I mean, it's, it's very bizarre. Nathan, any thoughts?
2: I was just I was I was prompted by Ben's comment. Uh, what is the lowest place in the table that you would be happy with if it meant that Arsenal were also relegated?
0: seven Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> we
5: all agreed.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want them out of the out of the Premier League for long because I do like to be able to finish above them, like through you being in the same every- division.
0: Yeah.
1: And I like I do like as much as I say that I don't enjoy the experience. When we win North London derbies, it's the best feeling. It's so good, and not having that opportunity, you know, whilst they're rubbish, would would suck. Uh, having said that, to see them get relegated and just be down for a year would be amazing. Like it would ne- that would never get old. It would be so funny. Yeah. But you know if they
6: won the championship they would just rub it in our face like they'd won the actual league oh god they'd be like, yeah, but we won the league and you'd be like okay what are you talking about but you know you they'd think, be very proud of
3: it you think them getting relegated would be fun but imagine how much fun it would be if they pulled a sunderland
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes just plummet, it, it down the the football pyramid now yeah just- oh god
4: Appreciation for their continued existence. Like I wouldn't want them to spiral too far out of out of control, but it's just just bad enough that we can laugh at them forever. You know, I mean, like those old find the gap memes where they like have their like fucking trophy cabinet compared to ours. Like it would they just never be able to say anything ever, ever. That's, imagine them, I mean, imagine them being
1: in League One and still having Mesut Ozil on the books, <laughs> <laughs> or Pepe. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, guys, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure. It's, it's like herding cats at times, but, um, uh, it's, it's really, really fun to, to do this link up once again. Um, I hope you all have a fantastic Christmas break. I know in the UK that that might be a struggle. How actually, how are things in the, in the US in terms of what you can do for Christmas? Well, I mean, we don't have a,
6: what you would call a strong government, <laughs>
4: uh, so to wait, to
6: wait. we can pretty much do whatever we want i don't know if you know this but that's basically the foundation of american government is, ah, <laughs> do whatever you want say whatever you want why not um so yeah we can do basically anything and there's no consequences whatsoever
2: except your grandparents die. yeah
4: kill a lot of people like a lot of people like let's be clear about that but that's our right as Americans.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
3: They got hit about as hard as you can get hit up here in New York. And the only real lasting consequence is we can't even side, which is good. And if you walk around without a mask, you'll get kind of a dirty look. But that's about the end of it. It's pretty insane that we don't we don't have stronger um you know we don't have stronger sort of you know consequences for these things
1: mm-hmm. but
3: on the other hand like doctors are starting to get back my wife got vaccinated this weekend so it's uh you know there's some good things are happening i guess
1: definitely yeah that's something to look forward to right let gonna focus on the um focus on the positives at this point
5: guys it's i been mean a pleasure. I, I was gonna say i don't know if i can get home do, The the uk is becoming a proper little island no airplanes are allowed back in so maybe this is it for me maybe i've just stay here forever Columbian Christmas <laughs> well anyone want to buy a season ticket
1: you've been listening to The Extra Inch thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production thanks to Bardi for being Italian thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music you can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer do check him out great follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and
0: review. That would really help.